Thanks, guys, for leading us in worship this morning. I appreciate it. It's great to have you here with us this morning. I thank you for um, coming along. Uh, if you're new with us, um, you're really, really welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, hopefully, you feel welcome and um, warm enough um, for now. Um, um, and uh, just to say that we're still here. <laughs> We were th- thinking that we might be somewhere else this Sunday morning, but we're we're not. But I'll talk about that uh, in a moment or two. Um, uh, we're going to just lift our tithes and offerings. The baskets are going to go round. We're going to give on to the Lord as an act of worship. Um, please um, don't feel massive pressure to do that. If you're a visitor with us, you can let the baskets pass you by. If you'd like to give, that would be wonderful too, because we, we want to give on to the Lord. Um, we want to be generous people. It's better to give than it is to receive. And um, so let's um, let's do that. Now, not really any announcements this morning, uh, other than if you'd like to continue, if you if it suits you to go across to Lurgan on Sunday nights. Uh, at, at the moment, we don't have a Sunday night expression here. If you'd like to, they're doing a theme called One Six Six, which is basically in, uh, there's 168 hours in a week. So, how does the other 166 hours a week work out for you, and how we can apply the Word of God to your everyday lives? Um, there's no uh, corporate prayer this week, um, but I think that's I think that's the only other announcement. Otherwise, we'll be back here next Sunday. Um, hopefully, see you before that, though. Um, just as the baskets go round, I'm going to um, be speaking this morning um, a little bit from Acts chapter two. But before we do that, I'm going to share, and then we're going to we're going to take communion this morning before we we close and respond to the Lord. But I just I can't I kind of want to do two things this morning, which I hope will feed one will feed into the other. I hope the first part is to try and draw some of the threads together of what we feel God has been saying to us over the start of the year, and as we find ourselves still in this place, um, try and help you um, come up to speed with maybe where and why we're still here. And then I want to transition that a little bit into what we're going to do over the next number of weeks and months, which is dive into a series in the book of Acts, okay? We're going to go through that and hopefully learn some keys from Acts that we can apply to us as a young church and um, alongside the early church in the book of Acts. Is that all right? Everyone with me this morning? Good to go? Praise God. Yeah. I just want to say it has been really, really amazing the journey together over the last number of weeks and months, uh, particularly as we've come into the new year and if we tried to discern the Lord together and how God is leading us. I, th- I think we love how God is leading us at the moment. Um, it's, it's not necessarily uh, a place of certainty and a place of control, um, but it was never supposed to be, yeah. And um, we've been praying, and oh, I, I said this on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, and it was just struck by this. Um, some of us were praying um, as leaders of, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I think it was Kate Dawson who who'd brought this word, and it just stayed with me a little bit. She said, uh, from Luke chapter 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of that place, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen uh, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked them to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Let me see if this works. Yeah, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Um, the interesting bit about this, um, as we were praying a little bit about our own situation, was that these fishermen were about to leave. They were washing their nets, if you notice here. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there, but the fishermen who were washing their nets, they were getting ready to move on or to go home or whatever. And, um, and I suppose we just had this inkling that maybe God, as we kind of were getting ready a week or so ago to pack up, wash our nets, if you like, God's saying, I just want you to stay here for another wee while. And actually, I want you to put the boat out again, and I'm going to start teaching. And then I want you to throw your nets down for a big catch. And of course, Peter's like, well, Jesus, we probably know better because we're the fishermen. You're the carpenter. You don't really know how to fish, and you can't really speak with much authority about fishing because you're more uh, used to kind of hammering things in the wood and putting things together. But to be fair to Peter at this point, at least he's sensible enough to go, if you say so, if you say so, because you say so, I let down the nets. He knew there was something about Jesus that was worthwhile being obedient to, even if he was cynical, if Jesus really knew what he was talking about or not. If you say so, then we'll let down the nets. And, um, and so our, our, our curiosity, more than our certainty, if that's the way to put it at the moment, as a leadership team and as, as, uh, as we've chatted to many of you and tried to discern things, is that maybe the Lord just maybe the Lord wants to put our nets down again. And what if there's a big catch? What if just because Jesus said so, there's a big catch? That as we thought we were packing up our goods and washing our nets to, to move, Jesus says, no, I quite like what I'm doing with you here at the moment. And I like it so much, I'd like to lengthen it a little bit more. And uh, I'd like to say some more stuff to you because it's not so much the place that's important as the posture. And I think God is looking us to carry a posture at the moment that is actually more surrendered than we've ever been. And for some of you who have been Christians for many years, I think the Lord, and I'll put, put myself in that category too, I think the Lord is calling me to a place where I've never been more surrendered to Him. And, um, and, and to be hungry in that regard. I heard a story over the last couple of weeks, a guy called John Tyson, a great Bible teacher in New York City, know what age you would be, 45, 50, living for a move of God. And some of my friends were there with him last week, and they were just saying how he's just in the middle of a 21-day fast because he's longing for God to break out in Man Manhattan. When he joined, when he started the church there, he got up every morning and just walked every single street in Manhattan, every single street. That's a lot of walking for those of you who have been to New York, every single street around New York all the back streets, crying out for a move of God. It's easier to do that when you're 25, when you're like young and energy and you can, do, do, you know, it's harder to do that when you're 45 or 50, isn't it? I think. Uh, I'm not 50 yet, but any, anybody that is can tell me, but it's, it's a bit harder. There's something about that hunger that kind of gets on you, doesn't it? There's something about that hunger 
to do the things that you did at first? What was it like when you first loved Jesus? What was it like when you fell in love with him? What was it like when that first love drove you to do anything that you would do because you longed for him to come? And I just think the Lord is wanting to challenge that in our lives at the moment and has been, and it's beautiful to watch so many people respond to that. And uh, I certainly feel very humbled as I watch many people unlearn some things in order to learn some things. <laughs> and that's kind of the essence of what I feel God wants to maybe say this morning. And we'll, we'll get to the book of Acts in about 15 minutes or so, hopefully. <laughs> Um, but I'm going to share some thoughts here because I just think I need to connect things up a little bit. And I think that's what the Lord wants to do. And this little phrase has been going around in my head over the last couple of weeks. I feel like God wants to lead us from the known to the unknown. Okay? He wants to lead us from the known to the unknown. God is leading us into new places. He's calling us into the unfamiliar. Uh, we, are un- we, are, we are unsure what that means. We, like Peter, are probably going, Jesus, are you sure you know what you're doing here? Because we certainly know what we're doing. We're the people that do church. <laughs> you know, we're the people that do the fishing. But if you say so, if, if you say so. And, uh, and yeah, so I think God's saying, I want to extend this time. I'm enjoying what I'm doing with you. I'm enjoying actually having a people who will go into the unknown. I was asking the Lord a number a couple of weeks ago as I was praying at the start of the year. And was, I said, Lord, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you saying in our, my life, Rachel's life, or our life together personally? And, and um, so, ma- so much of our, our lives at the moment, you know, as a family personally and as a church and Rachel's business and other things, every, so many things just feel a bit unknown. Not necessarily bad, but just unknown. And I felt that the Lord said to me, Alan, lead the people into the known, sorry, lead the people into the unknown where they will be truly known. And he's like, well, that's not very helpful, God. (laughs) But lead the people into the unknown where they'll be truly known. Because we know God in places that are unknown much more. That is the place of learning. You don't learn that much when everything's known, because it's just the same. It's only in the place of the unknown that becomes the heightened place of learning and growth and development. Because we have to find out things about ourselves, and we find out things about God that we don't know. So I'm not talking about an intellectual knowing. You can read all the books you want to be a bit more knowing in that way. But the place of real growth as a person and conforming ourselves into the image of the Son only comes when we go into the place of the unknown. And I think that's where God wants to bring us. So this little phrase, I'm sort of playing on words here. We're moving from the known to the unknown where we are truly known. I think think that's what God's doing with us. We're moving from the, the known to the unknown where we will be truely known. I think that's what God wants to do and say at the moment. And I was thinking about that. Well, God, that sounds very, like, out there or something. And then I realized it was just really the journey of faith, isn't it? It's just the golden bullet of the story of God from the beginning of time. Abraham, off you go. Where, God, that's not the point. Where, just go. Just follow the voice. Just just leave. And just go into the unknown. And the voice of God, like the voice that beckoned Abraham, is beckoning us into the unknown. The Spirit of God is beckoning us into 
the places where we have not been before. And it seems uh, uncertain and it seems unsure. But the voice is so compelling. The voice is so beautiful. The voice is so captivating that you'll leave. That, that when, so when, when God does that to Abram, and when Jesus walks along a shore and sees a couple of young lads mending their nets or washing their nets and says, follow me, what was it about Jesus? Like, who in their right mind would do that? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. There's something about the voice that's so compelling. And what we are hearing, I think at the moment, is the voice of God. And we shouldn't minimize it. Now, it might not feel like it's coming in an audible voice to you, but in your spirit, in your spirit, you feel that, oh, oh, I, I can't, we can't stay where we are. We can. But we'll gain the world and lose our souls. We can, we can stay and do the things that we've been doing for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But if we keep doing the things that we keep and we've always done, guess what? We're going to get the same results. And so every now and again, God needs to get a grip and a hold of people who will go to the unknown, the places where we have not yet been before. I think that's where the Lord wants to bring us. And I, I think that the Lord, I, I really felt this kind of impressed upon me over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, that the Lord was almost saying that the journey for us into the unknown isn't just for us, but it's to find new treasure to bring back to the body of Christ. Every now and again, God needs people who will, if I can put it like this, kind of be the anomaly, who will kind of do things a bit different so the mainstream can get rejuvenated. And and so my my my, my challenge to myself. I'm kind of outwardly processing this morning. I hope that's all right. I think this is what the Lord is saying to us and, do, and doing is, what about, will we be a people that are prepared to go to the unknown so that we can slay the dragon, that we can kill the Goliaths, and that we come back with some treasure so that the actual body of Christ in this nation and the rest of our family of families here and part of Emmanuel can get rejuvenated, can remind themselves. We can agitate, we can provoke, not in a, a acrimonious way, but in a, in a Holy Spirit, the way He makes things uncomfortable at times, what would it be like to be like a people of the Spirit who agitate the status quo? Yeah? Because we are going into places where maybe God has not yet taken us before. So the thing about it is, I've been thinking, we all love a bit of tradition. I like tradition too. We can get a bit sentimental about tradition. And there's lots of traditional things that it would be brilliant if they were actually still here. Lots of our traditional values are being eroded in the world in which we live. And it's not necessarily a good thing. So I love tradition in that way. But in saying that, you know, aren't you glad? For those of you who are like, say, have lived your whole life in the church, if you're being really honest, aren't you glad that quite a lot of stuff's changed? Like, aren't you glad that you can actually smile in church? Aren't you glad that it's all right to laugh? Yeah? Aren't you, aren't you glad that, um, that, that, this, the, that in many places now the gifts of the Spirit can flow? Aren't you glad, for me, I'm glad that you can actually have an instrument in church. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad about that. I'm glad that women can preach and teach and lead. I'm glad about that. 
wasn't the way I was brought up. I'm glad that while we still got lots of work to do, that we're breaking some of the sectarian lines that the church has played into over the years. I'm, I'm glad that things are, are, have changed. I'm, I'm glad that when people come into church, you don't look like us and smell like us, that they don't have to sit in the back row for weeks and weeks and end until we check out if they're good enough to have communion. I'm glad things have changed. I'm glad things have moved on. I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to pretend everything's okay just because we've got a suit on. But we actually talk about things like mental health and sexuality and things like that in our churches. I'm glad that that can happen. I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to pretend that when you're, you know, like I grew up in a church that if you've got mental problems and got signed in, people thought you were backsliding. I'm glad those kind of things are changing. Right? And why did they change? Because there were some people, some leaders, who went into the unknown, said some things that agitated the status quo, got a bit of flack for it, took some stuff in the chin, but pressed on because they believed the Spirit of the God had given them an assignment from heaven in order to see breakthrough and to see the new. There's been a lot that's changed in 50 years. There's a lot that still needs to change. But the breakthroughs that other people have contended for that we get to live in, it means that we kind of get them for free. So the question to us is, what will we contend for? Will we go to the unknown? Will we go to the places that God wants to bring us in order to provide a space and an atmosphere for our children to grow up in? And for this town, maybe, to experience it, maybe it hasn't just yet. Will we be those people that go to the unknown wherever the Spirit has taken us to? To break new boundaries, to break down barriers, to be curious about what the Spirit might want to do, to be humble enough to ask some questions that we might not have always got or always right. Will we, will we be humble and curious enough to say, God, what is it you want to do with us? If we had two million pounds tomorrow, to buy a new building, would we? I don't know, it would be very tempting, wouldn't it? Would we? I don't know. What I hope we would do is we'd pray a bit first. Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you want to do? Is there, something, is there something new you want to say? Do you want to plant 10 churches with that 2 million pound? Do you want to Start some kingdom businesses and enterprises that are going to bring life. Do you want to empower the poor? Do we want to alleviate poverty and empower people out of broken kind of states that they're in, fracture? Do we want to do something about family? Do, how do we want to bring transformation? I don't know. But I'm just trying to provoke this morning to say, what is it that the Spirit could be saying to us and doing with us? Because it would be very, very easy to take the money and build a big barn and miss what God wants to do with us. And, um, and so I, I want us to think about being a people who drive into the heart of God. And because we drive right into the heart of God, we're thrust right back out onto the edges and into the unknown. I love this quote from Abraham Lincoln. I've always liked this quote. And who came to power at a particular significant moment in America's history. And he said this, the dogmas of our quiet past are inadequate for the stormy present. 
The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think in you and act in you. We must disenthrall ourselves, and then we shall save our country. I love that. <laughs> the, the occasion that we find ourselves in the Western world and where the church is, what's going on politically, what's going on culturally, what's going on socially, it's, it's, it's crazy, crazy days, crazy times that we live in. The occasion is piled high in some ways with difficulty. It's also piled high with opportunity for the church. And so, therefore, we must disenthrall. I surrender all. Lose ourselves in order that we may find him all over again. Don't, don't correct my theology after this, but you know what? I think some of us, there's your man, hasn't been around in a while. Bless you. <laughs> He's back. Yeah. We, I, I feel we're in a moment where, and don't, don't correct my theology afterwards, it's more figure of speech, okay? Well, you can if you want, but I'm just, just saying I don't fully believe what I'm going to say, but I kind of do, right? Some of us, some of us just need to get saved again. Some of us just need to find Jesus all over again. Thank him for what he's done. Have, a, have, a, have an understanding of what it is to be saved by grace, to be forgiven. To be, have our sins completely washed away, to be set free and our purpose and destiny secure. And when we do that, it creates a passion in our hearts to live for and serve for Jesus. It re rediscovers and we, uh, that first love. And, uh, <clears throat> and something happens when we disenthrall ourselves that we find that again and we can arise to the occasion that God has set in front, in front of us. And so what would it look like for us to be that kind of people? Those are the questions I'm asking. I'm asking more questions than I'm giving answers. But questions are good. Um, questions that provoke us. What, what would it look like if, if or, or what if the reason the Holy Spirit isn't giving us answers is because He's longing to do something? And maybe, just maybe, He feels that He could find the people that He could do with this with. What, what if... The Holy Spirit is keeping us on the edge of our seats because all of heaven is on the edge of its seats at the moment. What if the Holy Spirit is holding us back from knowing everything that could happen because something big is about to happen and He wants to make sure we're ready to carry it? What if the Spirit <clears throat> is saying to the people in Emmanuel, innovate and don't imitate. What if he's saying, think about the new thing I want to do. Stop just conforming to everything that you've seen before. Stop just conforming to the fear of man. Innovate. Innovate in the new things that I want to do, because I want to do new things in every generation. What are the new shapes of church that God wants the birth? What are the new kingdom initiatives that God wants to release? What are some of the new levels of influence God wants to bring some of you to in business, in education, in health, in retail, wherever you find yourself every day? What are some of the new things that God wants to do? What are some of the new ways that we can empower the broken? What are some of the new ways that we can incorporate the rich? What are some of the new things that God wants to do? <clears throat> and I, I really want to be careful in the way I put this across this morning because I don't want this to sound in any way that we're any better than anybody else or any other church, right? That, if, you've, if you've taken that away today, that's not my heart in any way. 
we are part of the wider body of Christ in all its different forms. The other churches in this town are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I spent last week with two ministers just getting to know them and loving them. I'm going to say falling in love, but that would be weird. Just like getting to know them and, 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 and developing a relationship and hopefully loving them more and back and forth. You know, that's part of what our mandate is to strive for kingdom unity. And so I don't want that to be um, uh, what's coming across. We have nothing in our arsenal uh, better than any other church, and that's not our competition. They're our brothers and sisters, and we do this together, and that's what we long to do. But what I do want to just try and emphasize today is I think God is calling us as a people to do something in quite a unique way that I think can be a blessing and a gift to the rest of the body of Christ. That's what I want us to do, and that's what I want us to think about. And so that's why I don't think we're supposed to just simply conform, but rather be a people that move from the known into the unknown. And it's not like everything that we've known in the past will not help us. It will. But sometimes things have to be broken in our mindsets so that we can embrace the new. Uh, We said this a few weeks ago, that sometimes our circumstances and realities changes quicker than our mindsets do. Difficulties therefore arise because we're attempting to live into a new reality, but with the mindset of the last one, right? And so you hear this. You hear people that are still longing for a move of God who think it's going to happen the way the last one did. Yeah, we think, we, we hear people who are still crying for the good old days when God's like, I'm doing something new. Have you not seen it? Can you not discern it? I want to do something new. And the reality is our minds can be renewed because God said it. And the mind of Christ is accessible to us. Not just is it accessible to us because of what Jesus has done. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. It's stunning, stunning thought. But God wants to give us the mind of Christ. But sometimes we're so stuck at times as humanity and as human beings in our old mindsets that we don't embrace the mind of Christ that He wants to give us to discern the moment. And so for that to happen, we have to like re- restore and re-understand, if that's a word, repentance and what it means, the Greek word metanoia, and repentance has come to mean in our culture like almost like a dirty word that we almost all of a sudden feel shame. And, and repentance is not about shaming us. Repentance is about changing our mindset. It just means let go of the thing that is not your highest good. Turn your life around. Change your thinking and mindset because heaven is literally going to make its home in your heart. Which is why when Jesus came onto the earth, his most famous phrase was, repent. Turn around. The way you're thinking isn't right. A new thing is breaking in on the earth. And the ones that didn't get it the most were the ones that went to church. Because their mindset was so set on how God should work and how they felt God should act and react, that they missed the the literal heaven that wanted to make its home in their hearts. And so I think that what God is saying to us is, let's be a people that repent daily to get our minds renewed. Let's be a people that are willing to change our mindsets, to stay in tune and in touch with what the Spirit wants to do in us and through us. Because something new is happening. Something new is breaking in. And so, um, the other thing, just before we, we get to the book of Acts, the other thing I felt the Lord was saying as a bit of a response to all this stuff was, 
position yourself now. Position yourself now for what you're praying for. So make the changes now in your own life personally. Make the changes now so that when the things that you're praying for come, that you're able to handle them and you're able to deal with them. I want to encourage you to think maybe very practically about what needs to change. What needs to change to position yourself for the things that the Lord wants to do in us. And um, I'm saying all of that to say, this is the way I think the Lord's leading us. So those are my inclinations that I feel prophetically the Lord is saying and doing amongst us. And I want to ground it not for too long this morning because this passage itself that we're going to read in a few moments is just enough within itself. But I want us to start thinking about what does this look like as we go into a new series on the book of Acts. And the, the book of Acts tells us the story of Jesus, his life, his death. It tells us how the story of Jesus, sorry, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, how that gets carried on and fulfilled through the church, right? So we are here uh, to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world and teach the gospel, baptize people, and make disciples. And we're going to talk about that more next week, and I'll flesh all of that out and give a little bit more of a teach on that probably next week. Uh, and as a new church, I want us, and we want... Um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a team, we, we, we want us to think about what are some of the key patterns, the key points in the book of Acts that help inform how we can be true to the fulfilling of the Great Commission. Because you can have a nice website with nice, nice values on it, with nice coffee and all da 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 but you still don't really have a strategy to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's what we should be about. We should be about the Great Commission, being fulfilled, making disciples. If you want to assess, is a local church, any local church doing the stuff, are they going, are they making disciples, are they baptizing people, and are they teaching them in the ways of Jesus? That's how we would assess whether we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so we're going to be like learning, hopefully, loads about that as the weeks go on. But what I want to start with just in this series, I kind of just holds on to those threads that we just have mentioned, is that the, whole, the church was born and birthed through the person of the Holy Spirit. It was birthed through a bunch of ordinary people like you and me sitting in a room who were prepared to go from the known to the unknown. And if we think it's a big cost for us, think of these young Jewish men and women sitting in a room, going against everything that the temple institution had told them that they should, going against lots of the cultural kind of nuance that they would have been rejecting, going from the safety and security of just going with the crowd and crowding in a room and doing what Jesus asked them to do, which was to wait, because the unknown was going to come. The unknown was going to come. And yet... The unknown was going to come in a way where they would never have felt more known than they did when the Spirit fell upon them. And so we're told that Jesus in Acts 1 said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus told them just before he goes back to heaven in Acts chapter 1. Wait, he had told them just before this, you will receive power. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait. 
wait. Wait on the Lord. Don't run ahead because something's going to happen that you can't do out of your own strength. You can't engineer this. You can't build the building that you want and expect to get all the answers. Something's going to happen by the Spirit that you cannot do for yourselves, so you need to wait. The unknown is coming. But the unknown's going to be really, really good. <laughs> it's where you're going to be really, really known. And so I'm going to read this. I didn't put it all on uh, because it would take me about 15 slides. I'm going to read this. If there's a Bible sitting around, you might want to turn to it. Or if you want to turn to your phone, I'm going to read pretty much nearly all of Acts chapter 2. Um, and just let me um, let me read this. This just really, I'm not going to say too much. I'm going to say a few things, but I'm not going to say too much after this because I just love us to really honor the Word of God here. And listen to this together, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these here speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears, uh, how, how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Perga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, saying, they must have too much drink. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Follow, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I said. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. There will be sun turned into darkness and moon turned into blood before the coming of the great and glorious days of the Lord. And every one who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead and freed him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold of him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest in hope. Because he will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke to the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see the decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard all of this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. There it is. Repent. Turn around. Something new is happening. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. That's, a, that's church growth, isn't it? 3,000 people in one day. As the Spirit of God is poured out, and unlearned, uneducated men and women, hungry, hungry and compelled by the person of Jesus, but still completely unknown what was going to happen. But they chose to put themselves in that room and wait. Wait for God to do what only God can do. And the Spirit of God came down. And all the stuff that we read about the Old Testament that referred to God's glory when God comes down like wind and fire, it was all evident that day in that room. Because now heaven was coming down, not in the temple and not on the mountain, but heaven was coming down on humanity. God was going to fill people image bearers, the ones that he always wanted to fill with his presence. This was the dream of God. <clears throat> this is what Pentecost was all about. This was the inbreaking of heaven. Pentecost was the time when they remembered and, and celebrated when God gave Moses the law at Mount Sinai, back in Exodus. That's what the people would have been celebrating at this particular time of year. That's why all the, the people had come to Jerusalem for this big celebration, and God uses that festival at the time, kind of hijacks this festival, although he's it all lined up. And the Spirit falls and comes upon humanity, and the law of God is not going to be written anymore on stones of tablets but on people's hearts because we have become the dwelling place of God. And so what I want us to get today, that the church itself, the very thing that we're doing today, the very thing that we're part of is completely and utterly and wholly orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. It's, the church is supernatural in that regard. It's miraculous because it didn't come from human hands. It didn't come from human manufacturing or human engineering. It came 
from what we do not know but have become more known by than ever because we were supposed to be and always have been created to be people of the Spirit. And the thing that births the church, the key agent in how the church comes into play is the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and He will lead us and He will take us into the places of the unknown. Can you imagine, as I've already tried to describe, can you imagine, just for a moment, think that you're one of those early disciples. It's all a bit unknown, and yet they put themselves in this place and they wait for the Lord to come. And the Holy Spirit has to keep doing that, by the way, and we'll learn this as we go through Acts. Because as a, He's always wanted to participate with humanity, right? He's always wanted hearts that are available and will say yes, and this is what He found in these guys and girls, but he, he still did it, and he does it right through Acts. Once you get to Acts 6, there's lots of great growth and stuff, but it's all a wee bit, if we're being honest, the Jews have probably got still a little bit of prejudice to deal with, because their widows and orphans are getting fed, but the Greek-speaking ones aren't getting fed the same. There's persecution that comes, changes have to be made, and the Holy Spirit has to break them out of the barriers that they have placed to lead them into the unknown. And so Philip, who's a bit crazy, off he goes down to Samaria. How? By the Spirit. We're actually told that he's transported by the Spirit. How on earth does that happen? But it sounds amazing, right? But he's like transported by the Spirit. Who does the work of the proclamation of the gospel? Who initiates it? Who is the key agent? It's the Holy Spirit. And so they've got Judea and Samaria, because this is the unfolding of the Great Commission, but then they get to Acts 9, still haven't really pushed into Gentile territory. How did they push into Gentile territory? The Holy Spirit has to get a grip of Peter. One day when he's sleeping, he has to get a hold of him, and he has to take him in a trance. Sorry, just spat loads here. He has to take him in a trance, okay? And in that trance, did you get that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he, get, he gets him in a, in, a, in a trance, and in the trance, he's like, Peter, stop calling unclean the things that I'm now calling clean. And then, at the same time, he has to get a hold of Cornelius, who's a God-fearing man. He's a Gentile to start with. But the Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons, and he gets a hold of Cornelius, he gets a hold of Peter, and simultaneously, Peter goes to this Gentile house, and he... <laughs> As he steps across the threshold of the door, you and me step across that threshold as well, because this is our story. And the Holy Spirit breaks out on that room in power. And so the Gentiles are now filled with the Spirit, and God's dream for humanity is coming into play. And then, what about Europe? How does that happen? Well, Peter's got his idea where he's going to go. I can't remember exactly where it was, but somewhere else. And the Holy Spirit has to get a hold of him, as Paul, sorry, this time, has to get a hold of Paul and say in the middle of the night, have a dream where there's a man from Macedonia waving at him. And Paul says, yeah, I'll, that's where I have to go next. The Holy Spirit is always leading us from the known into the unknown so that the Great Commission can be fulfilled that every tribe in every tongue, in every nation, in every people group. And every people group, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit starts to fall on all the wrong kind of people? What does that start to look like? 
when the Holy Spirit has to shock us because he falls on like the Gentiles. Who's that for us? What if the Holy Spirit falls on all the people that we don't think that the Holy Spirit should be falling on? The only way you can embrace that is you've got a heart that's humble and curious and willing to be led by the Spirit to go where you've not yet been. In order that God's dream for the world can come into play, which is that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth know the good news. Some of you who know your Bible a little bit will know that Pentecost was a reversal of Babel, the Tower of Babel, wasn't it? God had to scatter the people because they tried to build something to themselves, yeah? And so he comes down and he scatters them and they all go with different tongues. But it causes confusion because nobody knows what everybody else is saying. Pentecost is the redemptive narrative of that story because in Pentecost you've got people this time surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And now they're spread again with tongues, babbling tongues, but intelligible tongues because everybody that's in the city, that all have a different mother tongue from all the different surrounding regions come together. In the Bible, what we just read says that they all heard what? The good news of the kingdom of God in their own mother tongue. So what does it start to look like if we are people that are led into the unknown and start to speak the language of the people that we work with every day? And they hear in our tone and they hear in our posture and they hear in our language the good news of the kingdom of God. What if those people on their wards and those people in our offices and those people in our classrooms, what if they start to hear the good news of the kingdom of God just where God has spread us to, just where God has scattered us to, tomorrow morning, wherever we go. God is there to fill us all with his presence. And so I, I want to finish this quote. Mark Sayers says this, A spirit fell upon the disciples as they were meeting in a room. Rooms by their very nature are closed off, sealed off from nature and the world through their walls. Okay, so they're in a room with walls in a little room. Entry is gained through crossing hearths, doors and curtains, barriers with which to seal the purity of the room. Okay? Seal the purity of the room. Don't let anybody in in case we get contaminated. Right? People that believe different things in us and look like, let's just us have our wee room. But the spirit falls just as he had fallen upon Jesus at the beginning of his ministry as he waded into the Jordan River, the barrier Israel crossed to enter into the promised land. The disciples, joy-filled, joyful and filled with fire and spirit, almost emerged from the dark, enclosed space of the room. The barrier that had sealed off the secret of the resurrection from the world, tumbling into the street. Their fall into the street, their crossing of the barrier from private into public, secret into proclamation, is not driven by human will or endeavor. Rather, it is empowered by the spirit. <laughs> They're filled with the Spirit, and they tumble out onto the street, and they proclaim the good news of God, because the Spirit will break our barriers. Otherwise, we're resisting and quenching Him, which we can do. The Bible tells us we can do. But when we're people filled with the Spirit, He will lead us into the unknown. And that's challenging and stretching and all those kind of things. But when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, 
and the infilling of his Holy Spirit. What we're part of is the orchestra, a movement completely orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. He's like the administer of the Godhead, bringing us as his people into partnership with the Godhead through what Jesus has done so we can help God's dream for the world be fulfilled, which is to flood the earth and to fill and to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea with his glory. And so I just really feel like as we come to the Lord and as we come to communion, we finish off this morning. Just like you in these moments, maybe um, Sue come and the team just to get ready and going to lead us just in that. But just maybe maybe even just in these moments, you close your eyes, just as we reflect for a moment. I'd love this just to be as applicable as it can be for us all individually. Just why don't you just, where you're sitting in response to this, why don't you just think of what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you, maybe specifically? And what's one part of your mindset, or maybe your heart posture, that might need to change to be led by the Spirit from the known into the unknown, where you will be truly known? reflect on that before we come to the table. The Bible tells us to examine our hearts before we come to the table. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're in this room. And I just ask you in these moments just to move, God. God, as we think about those are early followers who were probably just wondering what all this would mean as they waited on you. We just enter that moment even in our own lives and we, we wait on you, wondering and curious what this all might mean and yet, Lord, anticipating something that could change us forever. anticipate and be a part of your history and not simply our own. So Holy Spirit, in these moments, just work in our hearts deeply, God. Renew our minds. Forgive us, Lord, when our hearts have become so brittle that we think we know how this is all going to work or we're Happy to trust in that. Forgive us for that, Jesus. Thank you that you have more for us and more for this world in which we live. Help us to disenthrall ourselves where we need to, Lord. band are going to gently sing to us, but just love us to come and take communion. If you want to bring it back to your seat, you can do that. Yeah, we're just gonna, the guys will sing over us as we do that, and then I'm going to pray a prayer after we've all had communion, just to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh.
invite him to come upon us, all right? So just as you feel led in these moments coming, 